Gennaro Rewind, hosted by Matt Namofsky. Hello, NRL fans. Welcome back to the NRL Rewind podcast. I'm your host, Matt Namofsky. I'm here with Johnny again. Johnny, we're in the top 40, mate, of the top 100. How you going, mate? Oh, I'm all right. Back at work. Um, but uh, look, footy seasons, uh, it means that it's all that much closer, isn't it? We're about, I think we're 28 days away from the All-Star game. Then we obviously got the trials and then we're into the season swing. So we've got four more of these podcasts to do. Um, and I'm excited now because now we're we're, hitting, we're getting some heavy hitters right now. So we'll start off with number 40. It's Matt Scott from the Cowboys. 268 NRL games, 22 games for Queensland, 22 for Australia. So we're hitting that 2020 mark again. Obviously the co-captain premiership in 2015 and a one-time prop of the year. I'll say to you, Nom, that, you know, for all the Shane Webke, Petra 7 receiver, uh, Matt Scott is right below that tier. And there'll be a lot of, lot of people, especially in North Queensland, who think he's probably one of the most underrated forwards of all time. Yeah, he's just uh, meat and potatoes, sort of front row forward. Um, his leg drive, jeez, uh, he, he kept, he was a big reason why um, Queensland was so hard to beat during that dynasty. And he looks he looks like he's 40. Like even when he was young, he looked like he was 40. He has no speed about him whatsoever. There was nothing except his will and I guess his drive and his endurance. He was one of those guys that really, you know, was able to play that, you know, good amount of minutes for a forward. Like, you know, his body type normally you'd think he'd be pushing around that 40 minutes, but he was consistently up around that 50 minute mark and able to put in some really good shifts. And um, it says something with you're the co-captain with with Jonathan Thurston. You know they didn't want to give it all to jo- Thurston. He was the on-field leader. What Thurston was doing, playmaking and organizing the team. Matt Scott was actually rallying the troops and getting them going. So, yeah, I, I think he's immense. And I don't think Cowboys win that premiership in 15 without Matt Scott at that level because realistically, obviously, you had Morgan Thurston in that team and some of the outside backs they had. But that forward pack, you know, him, he was bringing up that young James Tarmel, obviously Cooper. Um, it, it's just it all revolved in the forward pack and the go forward around Matt Scott. Yeah, that's right. Um, he yeah he he was a massive pillar for that team, and um, you're right. He just you know picked up um you know he got the momentum them on the front foot, and um yeah just behind that forward pack um yeah they're very hard to topple with um, Matt Scott there. One hundred percent. And now we go to number thirty nine, a controversial one either way. Some people have him a lot higher. Some people have him a lot lower, depending on what you think of the resume. So it's Sonny Bill Williams, 123 NRL games, 12 games for New Zealand, and two premierships for two different clubs. So obviously very low number of games uh, compared to basically everyone else we're about to talk about here in the list. Uh, but what he did when you think about when he burst on the scene as the young, you know, shoulder-charging edge weapon with the Bulldogs, when he came back with the Roosters the first time around in that 2013 run, taking them to the grand final and probably was the best on ground in that grand final. Uh, and then obviously the last couple of years when he's returned to the Roosters and even though he was, he's at advanced age, I think he's about 35 now, still able to give some leadership and some experience. Yeah, you. Um, I'm looking at it here, 123 NRL games. That's, that's not a lot. That's about you know, five, six, maybe four seasons of NRL, um, but geez, he got two premierships out of it. Uh, he he uh, he definitely got got some miles when he did play. Um, you know, it was so exciting watching him. You know, like you said, he had he had the highlights through all the shoulder charges, 
his ability to offload. Um, he was such a skillful second row and so so um, so dangerous, really. Yeah, and I think for me, before the season, we'll do this last after we do this top one hundred, probably the ten biggest what ifs. And to me, there's no doubt it's if Sonny Bull doesn't walk out on the league the first time. Um, like you said, he was offloading or shoulder charging, sneakily good try scorer, able to shed a tackle and have that bit of acceleration. If he played like, you know, another five, six years in his prime, and we saw what he was when he was a finished product after the rugby and he came back and played that Roosters couple of years, he was easily, he walked in as one of the best forwards in the game. And look, you know, if he had some more games, he'd definitely be higher. Uh, I could have put him higher up here, but as we're going to start talking about these next couple of guys, we're talking about, 300 gamers, full careers, multiple awards. But yeah, I think that what the impact what Sonny Bill did on the game is probably bigger than on the park. And that's someone who's won two premierships, who's played over 10 games for New Zealand. Yeah, he's such a he's such a hard place to put in history. Um, because if you think about the NRL era, you're gonna have highlights of him shoulder charging with the dogs, you're gonna have him uh that offload in the 13 grand final. There's just so many. Uh, unique points to him, but there was so much we didn't get to see, which is why it's um, pretty tough. But, you know, 39 of 120 games, you know, nothing to sneeze at. So it was a pretty good career. But we'll go to number 38, Nom. It's the uh, Prince of Brookvale, Brett Stewart. 233 NRL games, 163 NRL tries, eight games for New Zealand, one for Australia, and two premierships with Manly as well. Um, with, with Brett Stewart, Nom, obviously the try scoring ability and Another big what if if his knees doesn't go out so early. But when he was on the park, there wasn't a better attacking weapon in the league than him. Yeah, the snake. I mean, what a prolific try score. 163 NRL tries in 233 games. That's uh, that's quite a strike rate. I mean, you know, they called him Prince of Brookvale for, for a reason. I mean, every time he, he laced up and walked onto that field, he pretty much was guaranteed to score at least one try. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, he was in that, he didn't get, um, as many, um, New South Wales games, I guess he was sort of coming up to that dynasty, but, um, yeah, two premierships. He had a great career. Yeah. You got to think with the New South Wales, that was obviously Minicello's Jersey. So that was prime mini. He will obviously come up in a little bit here. Um, but what everyone thinks of Ron Pappenhausen right now in terms of the support game and the chasing down the kicks and scoring before the dead ball line. That was Brett Stewart 15 years ago. Like Brett Stewart was, it didn't matter if it was who the half was, you know, whether it was Matt Orford, Cherry Evans, uh, all, all these different characters that were coming through there. He was still able to just be electric and, you know, he was good in defense. Um, you know, a lot of people will think to um, the try he scored with uh, Cherry Evans in support, uh, given that late offload and then, He was able to pull those tries out from nowhere. And I think that's what, in terms of the most entertaining uh, players in this game, you know, it has to be there. And, you know, whether it was try scoring, whether it was just, you know, showing up being there for his team, you know, 233 games, and that was injury affected as well late in the career. He could have easily got to 300. He was a driving force behind those two premiership sides and really, really underrated in my opinion. Number 37, Dom, is Brett Kamali. 291 NRL games, 79 NRL tries, 10 games for New South Wales, 20 for Australia, one premiership, one Dalian, one Clive Churchill medal. So Brett Kamali and Noddy's case here is really interesting because he came through at a time where he was the New South Wales number seven and Andrew Johns couldn't get a game in the number seven jersey. So obviously 
Joey played a bit of hooker in the representative field. It just shows like to play 20 games for Australia. And when you're not even recognized, I think a lot of people put a list out of the top five NRL era halfbacks. I don't think many people would put Noddy on the list. You'd obviously have your Joey, your Cronk, your Thurston's of the world. But what Brett Kamali did going all the way back to that Melbourne Storm grand final side in 1999, and then being consistently so close and so close with their shark side, late in the career, you got to remember that 2009 um, prelim final between the Bulldogs and the Eels, when the Eels uh, went to the grand final, that was a very close game. And Brett Kamali at the end of the career was steering that Bulldog side around. That's that you got to think that's basically from 1999 to 2009. There's three different teams there. There's multiple chances to go to a premiership. And again, we play the game of if you play your career out 10 times out of 10, you know, you got to think right here. He got a premiership. He got a Dally M. He got a Clive Churchill. 20 games for Australia, 10 for his state, nearly 80 tries in the NRL. And it probably still isn't one of the better ones. Like there's still options where, you know, one of those shark sides cracks through or that bulldog side cracks through. It's just he's such an underrated player, in my opinion. And when you just look, when you look at the resume on paper, it's pretty staggering. Yeah, that's right. Um, I actually, I guess Brett Kamali. When you talk about halfbacks, he his name obviously doesn't get as mentioned as much as Joey and Jundan. But um, yeah, to, just looking back at his resume and thinking back to the early years with him and John's, um, yeah, it, it's it's quite impressive what he's been able to do, and you know, um, especially getting a Clive Churchill and that premiership on his belt. Yeah, and I think the the one thing that really works in Kamali's favour is he's never really had an outstanding gun 5'8 to go with him. Um, there's been little glimpses here and there, uh, season two, maybe Black Preston um, with the Sharks and things like that. But to me, he's always been the primary playmaker and he's he was a fantastic playmaker. You know, we always talk about general kicking and, you know, ability to deceive the defenders with the eyes going across you. That was naughty to a T, so yeah. It's, an, it's a fascinating case, and I'd love to do a rewind episode just on him because I think a lot of people don't really understand the career from where he went to where it finished. And again, I'd lo- I would love to see a couple of different versions of it, but he did play pretty outstanding. But I'll go to number 36, Nom. It's, in my opinion, the most underrated player in the NRL era. It's Brent Kite. 313 NRL games, 10 games for New South Wales, 16 for Australia, two premierships on Clive Churchill medal. To me, Brent Kite, is just the epitome of go forward. Similar to what how we said about Matt Scott, there wasn't much, you know, there's a lot of meat and potatoes there, just cutting the ball up, offloading. He perfected really early on the pl- getting taken down to your knees so and you get the quick play of the ball. Um, all those type of things for Brent Kite. He was just a, a real inspirational leader in all the packs that he played in. And obviously um, those manly sides where he played his best footy and he was outstanding. Yeah, I mean, looking at this list, I'm, I'm surprised, you know, with, we mentioned Snake, but um, yeah, to see uh, Brent Kite, um, he he was just as crucial to all those um, mainly a premiership sides, you know, that go forward. He was such a really tall sort of gangling figure. You mentioned that um, he perfected the sort of getting on your elbows and knees and then getting that quick player ball, which was a uh, huge for the, for the go forward. Yeah, those manly sides, obviously, with Snake, his brother. Uh, then you got, obviously, the halves and some of the outside backs they had. But when you think of those sides, to me, it's Josh Perry and Brent Kite carding the ball forward to lay the platform. And that's exactly what he did. I think that's the biggest compliment you can give to a guy who won two premierships. And again, one of those rare forwards that won a Clive Churchill mm. medal, which just showed what he did in those, in those grand finals to be rewarded with that. And again, double-digit 
uh, state and Australia games. To me, Bren Kite, is, yeah, he's very underrated. And again, another player that we really need to deep dive for some people who haven't really followed the career. Because again, the front rollers, as we'll see in this list, it's pretty hard to crack these sides once you start talking about resumes and, you know, the individual awards and things like that. But they're just as crucial to the premiers as some others. But we'll move on to number 35. It's Robbie Farrar. 303 NRL games, 70 NRL tries, 16 games for New South Wales, six for Australia, one premiership in 05, and two-time hooker of the year. So with Robbie Farrar, Nom, uh, I put him ahead of Michael Ennis. Uh, and that's obviously them two have been dueling throughout their careers of who's the best half, basically behind Kim Smith of their era. But to me, just the creativity that Robbie Farrar gave you at dummy half really started to perfect the kick out of dummy half like Cameron Smith did. Really deceptive with his uh, picking his spots out of dummy half especially in the creek perfected that little rubber out of dummy half five minutes out from the line. I think what Robbie Farrow did was took a lot of out of Cam Smith's game and try to do the best of he can. Obviously he wasn't going to be able to get it hundred percent, but he did very, very well. Early career, Robbie Farrow, you think about he won that grand final in 05. Wasn't that instrumental, probably, you know, the sixth, seventh, eighth best player in that team. But as we got later in the career, we saw when he moved to the rabbits, when he came back to the tigers, he was still influential towards the end. Yeah, that's right. When I think of Robbie Farr, I think of that sort of um, really deceptive sort of kick out of dummy half. And uh, between him and the maestro Benji, um, they were the ones really um, sort of pulling the strings when the Tigers had that sort of um, push to the fi- that final series in the, I think it was 2010. Um, that, that's when I think of peak Robbie Farr. Yeah, and a, a very outstanding combination between him and Benji. Uh, obviously, some off-field things and some of the way he left the club the first time will hang over some people and cloud their memory. But again, Robbie Farrow was one of those guys that could win you a game. And as you get to these, you know, this level of the list, it's about did you have mainstay ability? Did you bring something to the game? And again, he was, other people would say that he was like a knockoff of Cam Smith, but I think it's even better to find the best guy in your field and try and do as many things as you can. And again, you you got to think about those little, those little plays, you know, hitting someone short with the line, the little grubbers into the thing, even like trying to get a 40-20 when your team's on the back foot in your 30-meter and then you do a nice kick into the corner. All those things are what Robbie Farrow gave you. And again, I can't stress this enough, even at the end when people were talking about the Rabbits and the late career Tigers, he was still probably the fifth best hooker in the comp. And that, that tells you something, a guy has been that much mainstay. So to me, um, when you talk about hookers in the, in the NRL era, you're obviously going to talk about uh, Cameron Smith, and there's one guy ahead of him that we'll get to. But to me, I think it's pretty pretty safe to say in the NRL era, the third best hooker uh, is Robbie Farrow. Yeah, he he was always one of the top hookers. Um, you know, with, if there was no Cameron Smith during that period, he would probably be the top. If not, yeah, he was always in the top. In the top you know, one or two. Hundred percent. We'll go to number thirty-four, and another guy very polarizing interesting where to place him it's darius boyd 337 nrl games 15 seasons uh, 87 nrl tries 28 games for queensland 23 for australia two premierships a clive churchill medal one time fullback in the year and obviously those two premierships one with brisbane one with the dragons so nom a lot of people will be clouded by the last three years of darb's career all the memes all the getting stepped and no effort and dropping the ball and things. But I think if you just want to show someone what is Darius Boyd, show them two things, show them the 2010 season when he was the best fullback in the comp and show him whenever he was outside of Greg Inglis in origin, how to finish a try. 
Because to me, yeah. Darius Boyd could he could be the best fullback on his day, and he could easily be the best winger in his day, and that's pretty hard to do. Yeah, that's right. Um, his Clive Churchill performance two out of ten with that Dragons, um, yeah, obviously very instrumental with that. I always forget, uh, remember that sort of intercept try against the uh, against the Bulldogs where he went pretty much like the field. And um, yeah, what he's done for Queensland, I mean, it's, yeah, just just on that wing, he's pretty much was prime real estate and um, yeah, he definitely knew how to finish a try there. Yeah, and a lot of people also go back to the, you know, Wayne Bennett's son memes and stuff, but Wayne Bennett, the super coach, only picks good players. He, he has lots of premierships under his belt. He has lots of series wins under his belt. He values dubs and to me, again, when he was coming through the grades as a, as a winger, when he went and he had a couple of sins at a couple of different clubs at fullback, he just is one of those players that wouldn't wouldn't lose your game very often. And again, did he stay a bit long in the tooth there for those 337 games? Probably. There was probably two seasons ago we could have seen Alasa Dubs, and I think the memory of him um, lives a little bit different. But to me, absolutely deserves to be near this top 30. To me, if he didn't have those last couple of years, could be even a little bit higher. Maybe it's even clouding my judgment a little bit. But yeah, I think the the great comp between him is him and Brett Stewart, as we spoke about in this little podcast here. I just think Darvis gives you a little bit more than Brett Stewart. Obviously, with the hands, Darvis was one of those ones that was able to really perfect uh, the little tap on on the back line move. Um, and again, he could swing from second receiver at fullback, or he could even go one around and finish the try in the corner. He was just very multifaceted. And yeah, I think. NRL Twitter and NRL Facebook and the memes world uh, has changed the memory of Darius Boyd. But again, just go back to the two for anyone who wants to confirm why he's number 34, go watch 2010 season, watch that season review and watch that he was the best fullback in the game when you had all the superstars in the game still there. Yeah, that's right. You pretty much collected every single award there was that year. Number 33, now we've got another current player. It's Jesse Bromwich. So 272 NRL games. 29 games for New Zealand, three premierships, one time prop of the year. So with Jay Brom here, um, it's pretty hard to understate what he was early in his career. As soon as he came into grade, he was basically one of the three best forwards and he's basically maintained that up until about a season or two ago. The way he was able to go into the line, his ability to hit and spin and try and get that offload, the three guys only pop that offload out. He was instrumental for all those Melbourne sides. And again, um, if he went to another another team, would he be as good? If he played the career 10 out of 10, this is probably one of the best um, because he knew what, exactly what he needed to do. Had a little bit of a sneaky footwork about him, not much about him, but he was just able to be one of those main same pillars for this team and never let, never let Craig Bellamy down. And I think anyone who can play over 12 seasons with Craig Bellamy in such a hard area like the front row, um, it speaks to itself. Yeah, that's right. He was, I guess... Um, yeah, with the storms massive, and then I think of when I think of Jesse Bromwich, I think of him in in his Kiwi rep jersey as well. Um, he's he's like you said, been a mainstay there as well. And uh, I'm not sure if he was captain, but uh, he was yeah, he was captain. And um, yeah, I, I think of his massive performances every time he put on that um, um, uh, New Zealand jersey. It was uh, yeah, it was huge. Yeah, and even though he's getting long in the tooth now, and he's obviously well in, a, in double-digit seasons in the NRL, he's still able to offer a lot when he plays in the NRL. Obviously, we play Supercoach. He's one of those, always those options that if you have to pick up a forward for one week, oh, you'll pick up, you'll pick up Jabram. He'll get 90 metres. He'll make 20 tackles, get a couple of cheeky offloads. 
he's just one of those reliable guys. And I think that's why Melbourne always performs well because you've obviously got the superstars at the top. But then you have a guy like Jesse Bromwich who could be a superstar at any other club. He's happy to be like, you know, the four, fifth, sixth fiddle. Um, but he's just the on-field leader. He's the off-field leader to me. He's just, it'll be interesting to see if he gets another premiership. Could definitely vault into the 30s here, but I think he's right around where he's going to sit now with number 33. But we'll go to number 32, Dom. These next three guys have all got very interesting cases to move into the 30. They're all finished playing, but we'll talk through them. So in the first, we'll go to number 32 is uh, Boyd Cordner. 181 NRL games, uh, 10 seasons there, 16 games for New South Wales, 20 for Australia, three premierships, and one time second row of the year. So with Boyd Cordner, obviously the injuries has taken a toll late in the career the concussion issues had to retire early what he did on the edge for new south wales for australia and for particularly the roosters as the club captain uh can't be understated what he did for that club and you talk about running we talk about edge runners running great lines there wasn't a better run line runner than boyd cordner yeah that's right and the way he played the game was so courageous i guess i guess you know that's ultimately ended his career with all the concussions but he just played it with he put he, he really did um, put his whole heart out there and, um, you know, he put his head where most people wouldn't put their foot. Um, yeah, the way he played his game was just tough as nails. Yeah, exactly right. And I think the, the lasting memory for me is him getting knocked out that last time in State of Origin where it was just mm. you know, a pretty innocuous hit to the hip um, and that saw him out. But like you said, especially early and middle career Boyd Cordner, he would be diving into tackles. He would be charging full steam. Those line balls, you've you got to think, you know, when you're versing other guys that are the size of you and you're running full speed, trusting your heart back to give you the ball at the right time and hitting that hole, he was a fantastic player to watch. And it's an absolute shame that he, you know, had to finish up early, but still being able to be near the top 30 in this. And, you know, not a prolific try score by any means, but I think just in terms of on-field leadership and what he did for the club, uh, what he did for his state, there was a lot of years there where Boy Cordner was one of our shining hosts for New South Wales. And even when we were getting smacked around in New South Wales, he was always a mainstay in the Australian side. And I think anyone who played for New South Wales in those side, in those sides where Queensland was demolishing us, if you were able to make the Australian side, because that Australian side was nearly a Queensland squad, uh, that that shows that even the Australian national selectors noticed him. He played 20 games for Australia and he got three premierships. Let's not forget the three premierships. It's pretty outstanding that he was able to get that. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, I guess, with Boyd Corner, I remember even early in his career, the way people talked about him, even when he was coming on at, at such a young, even in his first or second season, I mean, he's about our age and um, he's always had a larger stature than he, he actually, in terms of his age. I mean, he was captain from a very young age and he was just, the way everyone always talked about him, um, yeah, he, he was like a, a leader just both on and off the field. 100%. We'll go on to the last part of this podcast and it's a bloody tricky one, Dom. I had a lot of out of all the players in this list, is probably one of the top three that I had an issue with, and it's Jared Haynes. So Jared Haynes, number 31, 214 NRL games, 121 NRL tries. We'll come back to that. Uh, we also have here 23 games for New South Wales, 11 for Australia, two Dally M's, one-time winger of the year, two-time fullback of the year, one-time rep of the year. So the reason why I didn't put him into the second tier is he hasn't got a premiership. So that's number one. Because what we're going to do here, and we'll, we'll take out the off-field stuff and where, where he's ended up right now. We'll, we'll leave that out of the discussion. This is just on the field. What Jared Hayne did, uh, basically, those Parramatta sides that he carried, and as a Parramatta fan, let me tell you, he carried them. Um, if we finish this career 
when he leaves for the NFL. And we just stop the career right there. And there's no failed NFL stint. There's no Titans comeback and failure there. And there's no late career Jared Hayne hanging on at Parramatta. We look totally different right now. If the Storm don't win that grand final in 09 and Parramatta get a grand final, we look totally different right now. Now, the the other reason why I didn't put him in the top 30, that a lot of things, I think a lot of people will have him in the top 30, but why I didn't is because it's really about two seasons worth of damage to the comp, uh, 09 and 14. Other than that, it was he was a great try scorer. He set up a lot of tries, but Parramatta didn't have a lot of success in some of the seasons that he was the star playmaker. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll throw it to you, Nom. You see all the accolades there, multiple Dallyams, multiple uh, player of position in multiple positions, rep player of the year, double digit. in, in It's all there on the resume. But why, why is it just feeling like he just left us a little bit more than we wanted? Look, I think I see the point you're, you're making. It like on his day, he's head and shoulders, you know, best player in the world. I think what Jared Hayne lacked that a lot of the other players had up above him on this list is, I think, consistency. You mentioned those two seasons that stood out, you know, oh, pretty much the seasons where he went, won the Dallium, 09 and turn 14. But then we didn't see that across his whole career. I mean, he played like about 12 seasons in the um, NRL. There was that, those highlights reels. You know, you can think, I can just picture him tiptoeing across the line um, instead of Origin. But we didn't have that sort of consistency through, through, throughout all 12 seasons. And I think that's what um, is probably why he's, you know, 31st on this list. Yeah, to me, I think I, I, the way I love to think about it sometimes is for the casual fan, I think a TikTok now and which player out of this list would have the best TikTok highlight. I think it's Jared Hayne hands down. You, you mentioned the tiptoe across the thing. You met, you have to mention the chip and chase against the Tigers where he reels the ball in. You got to think about the chip and chase against the Broncos where he does the little tap over the top. There's just so many different, the length of the field trial against the Panthers off the kick return. There's got the so dragons many in the finals where you get like 10 players. The dragon, you know, Oki stepping about nine players, getting over the line. There's just so many of those moments. And that's why I think, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, just that alone has to be top 15. But when you don't win the premiership and, you know, that, that's to me what separates, we're, we're going to get to win the next podcast, we get to the next level. The top 26 for me, which is the, the top two tiers, you have to have a premiership to get in. And to me, you know, there's me another guy uh, just before we get to that level there. It's just all about, you've got to win at the NRL. And I, I, look at the individual resume. It's all there for Jared, but you've got to get that last one. 121 tries is ridiculous for a guy who had hamstring injuries, who was always, you know, a little bit able to get a, a cork here and there, miss a couple of games. He was just, when he was on the field, he was very present. And especially those two seasons, the highlights were there, but. We'll wrap it up there, Nom. Number 31, Jared Hayne. I'd love to hear people's thoughts, but I'm very excited because we're about to get in the top 30, Nom. So let's get right into the next one, mate. See you, see you on the other side. No worries. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great day and hear from you soon. Cheers.